billions of years ago and are just floating on this giant rock and if pleasure's the crux of life, this makes sense. It makes sense to follow your heart because it's all you got. But I'm here to tell you tonight that your heart is a very faulty navigator, okay? Your heart alone cannot sustain the weight of what it means to be a human. Because from an accurate perspective, from a biblical context, what it means to be human is to be more than just flesh and bone. It means we have a soul. And that in the Genesis account, that God breathed his life into Adam. That we've been given a soul. We've been made in God's image. That we're more than just objects. If that's the case, a heart cannot sustain what it means to be a person with a soul. Because at the end of the day, the heart is a really bad navigator. And we, more often than not, desire to make our hearts our maps. And our hearts make for really bad maps. I don't know about you, but I really struggle with directions. I can't do it. I mean, I have to just memorize the street names. I cannot. I turn off Siri on my phone. The voice is so annoying, and it ruins the best part of the song every time. And I'm so bad with directions. But the truth is, when we treat our hearts like a map to our life, where we expect our hearts, our emotions, our, our desires, our willpower, our freedom, for lack of a better way to say it, to decide everything for us of where to go, how to get there, what to do when we're there. It's like trying to get direction on Apple Maps and the direction changing every five minutes. The street name's changing every five minutes because that's how our feelings are, okay? I just got to be real with you guys. Our feelings are this way. If you don't believe me, just think about what was cool in 2005 and what you thought was sweet in 2005 and then what you think about that now. I know for me, growing up in the early 2000s, what was so cool was bleached hair, puka shell necklaces, razor, like the electric razor scooter. You guys know what I'm talking about, the big wheel in the back. And this one thing specifically was the coolest thing to have. It was coveted by every kid. It was a pair of Heelys. Anyone remember these? Yeah. Okay, we got a photo. Chris was ready for it, bro. So if you don't know what Heelys are, this is a pair. We got some more. I came ready tonight, y'all. Here's a pink pair, okay? Okay, and then this is the crux, the ultimate Heely, the Crockley, right? <laughs> I think I found these on Etsy. They're going for like $300. Someone customized those to do that. So some of you guys are like browsing right now to cop them. But these things were like it as a kid. Oh my goodness. When you're a kid at the grocery store, you just like envy the kid wearing them. They'd be like walking and then they go like for like two minutes. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I just realized the name Healy is Wheelie Healy. Like you're doing a Healy. You know what I mean? Like a wheelie on a bike. It's so bad, dude. So this was what I wanted as a kid. I hate to say it, I don't think I could pull off a pair now and walking every five minutes and like slipping is like what I want to avoid. And so my desires have changed, for lack of a better way to say it. And you probably agree with me as being a kid and changing through time. Um, we can take them down. We don't need to put them up the whole time. But this is in essence how our hearts are. One moment we love something, we desire that thing. And the next, we totally hate it. And the truth is, if we're to rely on our hearts to offer navigation through life, we're going to be let down. It's going to be really inconsistent. And the heart, I believe, is to less be a map, not to be a map, but to be a more of a radar system in our lives. That God has given us emotions to detect things. Because if you've ever seen a James Bond movie or Mission Impossible or any other kind of war movie, I don't know if the radar is upgraded. I have no idea. But when you see those movies, what a radar does is it detects what's in the area. It doesn't give it accurate census, but it puts it on your radar, right? You've heard that phrase. And I believe this is what our hearts offer for us. To make us aware of scenarios, aware of situations. 
to lean towards things, but not to dive fully into it, not to let it be our entire guide. Because the truth is, our hearts lie to us, our hearts are inconsistent, our feelings are inconsistent, but at the same time, we need to rely on them sometimes for some decision making. Like if you're feeling anxiety about dating someone and you're just feeling so nervous and you feel like you shouldn't do it, like maybe you just shouldn't. Like maybe it's not the time for that, right? If you're excited about going and traveling or going and pursuing a dream, that's good. That's a good desire to have. You should like your job, right? And feelings are good in this aspect, but not to be relied on entirely. And so with that in mind, I want to title our conversation tonight, The Heart Doesn't Know What the Soul Wants. That we are such complex individual human beings made in God's image, that the truth is we cannot entirely rely on our hearts to trust everything over to them, that we need help with it. And we are going to be jumping into a passage tonight. If you have your Bible, jump to Mark 7 with me. And Jesus breaks down why this may be the case. And so in all reality, when understanding what the heart is for, when understanding introducing the topic of our emotions and the perspective of them, and aligning them with God's character. What is important to understand, I believe, is two things the heart is not. And we're going to get into those. But first, let's read our passage for tonight. It's going to be Mark 7, verse 14. It says this. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, then out of the body. Saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So for understanding what the heart is not, because sometimes you have to take like reverse psychology, what is it, what is it not? I believe that what we have to understand is that the heart is not a garbage disposal. So if you're taking notes, write that down. The heart is not a garbage disposal. Because... When understanding the function of a garbage disposal, the way it works, if you have one, if you don't, it still perplexes me. I shout out to you for doing dishes. I believe in you so much. But the way a garbage disposal works is you take everything off your plate most of the time, because my mind breaks all the time, and you shove it down this little thing, and what it does is it grinds all of it up, gets rid of it, and then it clears out your system in your sink and off your dish and everything. And we expect a lot of the time for our hearts and our perspective and our lives to act this way. That we can, through actions, through motive, take things in our life, take things we experience, absorb it, and just get rid of it. That through sheer perseverance, sheer willpower, sheer like just trying as hard as possible to make ourselves good, to make ourselves have good intentions. That the truth is, our hearts aren't capable of that. Our hearts are not able to comprehend it. Because when understanding the heart in general, and like I said, we're talking the heart in a metaphorical way. I'm not here to give like oxygenated blood demos and stuff about how the heart functions physically, okay? I took blue planet and astronomy. I'm not a science person. But when I think of this phrase of the heart, the heart in a sense is what Jesus is referring to in our passage tonight. 
and he's referring to it metaphorically. He makes this very bold statement. In these first two verses, he says, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and out of the body. He then goes on to say, what comes out of the person defiles them. A garbage disposal works to eliminate things. But the truth is, you can't eliminate things when it's already inside of you, when it's already a part of who you are. And that's how our hearts work, is we can't get rid of the bad emotions we have, the negative feelings we experience, this sway that we are given, and how we're so turned over to our emotions and our desires all the time, when it's kind of just who we are naturally. In the simple phrase, you are what you worship. This is what Jesus is saying. Another way to say it is garbage in, garbage out. That what you put into your system, that who, what you're absorbing, what you are giving your heart to is what your heart will look like. But already our heart looks like a very specific way. And so to try to strive after holiness, to try to do it on our own, to try to be perfect in our emotions without Jesus doesn't work. That as humans in biblical language, we are naturally flawed. It's this sin condition that we hear about. And this is what Jesus is getting at, is that even after two months, a baby can still be sinful. (laughs) That humans are not born perfect. That humans are naturally messed up. And with this in mind, it goes to show that our hearts, we don't always know what's best for us. So to completely trust in it and follow it is deceptive. And so then you may ask, okay, that's great, but why is Jesus talking about food? So prior to this verse, Jesus was approached by these guys named the Pharisees. And if you've been any time around during church or growing up, reading the Bible or hearing about it, you hear about the Pharisees, and they're kind of like the villains, and we kind of characterize them weirdly. But true, the Pharisees were these people who were obsessed with not being defiled, right? This, that's that word you see. It just means polluted or marred or just made wrongly. And the Pharisees were were obsessed with being so holy, with being so self-righteous that nothing would defile them. So what they would do is they would take laws that were in the Old Testament, like ceremonially unclean and clean foods, and they just overextend it, and they'd make a bigger list because they believed this is how you'd be much holier. And it came to the point that they were so scared of being defiled that there's stories of the Pharisees walking through towns, and they'd pick up the corners of their robes to not even touch people because they believed these people are defiled, these people are gross, these people are nasty. I don't want my robes touching them because they're going to get me gross. So they approach Jesus and his disciples attempting to call them out and attempting to catch Jesus in this trap. Jesus goes on to say, it doesn't matter how much you do things on the outside. It doesn't matter how many ceremonies you follow. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you do. You naturally are messed up. You naturally are flawed as an individual. That it doesn't matter what comes in because it's going out when you eat, but who you are naturally is a flawed individual. And Jesus compares this and contrasts it with the way the stomach works versus the way our true hearts work. He just says, when you eat something, it comes out, especially you eat Chipotle. But Jesus says, what comes in you and what comes out of you from your heart when it's wrong, it's been there from the start. And so to understand this, it's that the heart, our intentions, and our humanity, not only is it something that we are disadvantaged at the start, that naturally as humans, we don't know what's best for us, that our hearts are naturally inclined to do what we want, to do what benefits us. This is why I believe that so much of our world and so much of what we've seen in 2020 is just the depravity of humanity, of people just being so ill and wrong to each other, people just acting outwardly like outrageous to each other, just being so terrible to one another. 
It's out of personal interest. It's out of personal bestment. It's what's best for me and you come second. Survival of the fittest mentality. This is what Jesus is communicating is that as humans apart from God, this is what we're capable of. And that any good act we have, that anything good is by God's grace. And so I think of this and I think of that verse in Romans 3.12 that all have turned away that no one's better than anybody else, that we all got a heart issue, that it's not, okay, if you eat this food and don't eat that food, your heart's okay. It's, he says, all of everybody, we all have this heart issue. And so if this is the case, this is some pretty bad news, right? That humans, we're never taught to lie. We're never taught to steal. We're never taught to do these things that are wrong, that hurt other people. If you don't believe me, like I said, just spend any amount of time with like a two-month-old or a little baby, and they'll show you how selfish people are, okay? Right? They're cute, but man, oh. But what we have to understand is our hearts, it's not like a garbage disposal. We can't just expect, just clean everything out of it by acts and doing things correctly and doing the right thing to just be perfect, to just clean out our system, to be, okay, you know, I've, I've been kind of sinful today, so I'm just going to follow these ABC steps, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, and then I'm going to come to this place where I'm all clean now, my heart's pure. Jesus says, your heart can't be pure apart from me. And so if this is the bad news, what's the good news? I believe it's this, that our second point, our last point for tonight is that the heart is not hopeless. And Jesus isn't trying to be super negative here. He's not trying to just be like, well, you guys are doomed and you have some behavioral adjustment issues and go fix them and then come back to me and then we'll work on it. No, he's just being honest. He's just saying, this is the case that we try to perfect ourselves and we try to be perfect individuals apart from God, apart from grace. It doesn't work. But we understand, like you said, the heart is not hopeless. So if you want, read with me and jump down to verse 31. It says this, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre. So he's left the group he's talking to, went to another town, then left that town. And went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the Sea of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who is deaf and could hardly talk. And he begged Jesus to place his hand on him, to heal him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. He gave him a wet willy, and he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, said to him, Ephethatha, which means be opened. This, the man's ears, were opened. His tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. This part's important. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And so when understanding this story, what I, what I find so significant, what I find so beautiful, is just leaves the setting and goes to this town, and he begins healing these people. And what we have to understand is at the time, Towns weren't like where they are now, unless like you're in downtown Albuquerque where it's kind of dirty and filthy. Um, towns at the time were filthy places. And there's people in most towns around the side of the road who were homeless because they couldn't acquire work and who were deemed as insignificant, not even human, not even worth looking at or even touching your robes with on the sides of the roads. And I just imagine people with diseases like leprosy where their skin's falling off of them and people agonizing in pain over being paralyzed, people being blind and just asking for change and money. I hear Jesus comes in 
and he steps into this town. And what I find so significant is that the God of the universe in, in human flesh is, is approaching humanity. That's for so long the narrative of a God or gods is that you go to a temple that's pristine, that all the money's gone to, and you approach the God with what you have to offer. But this God, this Jesus is different. He steps in this town and he approaches the people. He doesn't shy away from their filth. He doesn't shy away from how dirty it may be. There's probably like poop all in the road and dirt everywhere and it's muddy and everyone's wearing sandals and it's not Birkenstocks and so it's really gross. And Jesus comes in, he just starts healing people. I love this phrase, look, he does all things well. They don't say, look, he did some of these things well. Or look, he, did, he does most things, but it's okay. They say he does all things well. And what I believe for us, in our emotions, and our hearts, and our feelings, and our desires, and in this bad news that we hear, that naturally we want what's best for us, and a lot of times it looks pretty ugly. It's what's caused wars throughout centuries. It's what's caused genocides. It's what's caused division. It's what's caused colonization. Just terrible things of what's best for me. But for the first time, Jesus offers an alternative to say it's not so hopeless. That despite us being marred, despite us being not the best, despite our hearts having ill intent, Jesus steps into our circumstances despite how dirty it may look, despite how it may filthy it may be. And he offers the opportunity to take part in our humanity, to take part in our hearts, to inherit our emotions, to inherit what we're going through and offer hope in that setting. That we don't have to be the sum of our anger, that we don't have to be the sum of our envy of just being jealous of everyone around us, just sitting on Instagram, just desiring every other life but your own, just feeling so lustful all the time, just images popping through your head just being depressed and, and sitting in, a, in this hopelessness or in an anxious state where you tell yourself, tomorrow cannot get any better than today. That Jesus steps in the midst of all that. He doesn't wait for us to get cleaned up. He doesn't wait for us to scrub our hearts away. He doesn't wait for these people to do that. And he doesn't expect the same of us. That he wants to step into our scenarios, step into our emotions, and offer hope in the midst of it. And he does all things well. And for many of us, this may look different. For many of us, I believe we need to submit to Jesus the desires of our hearts. We need to submit to Jesus that anger that we've justified. We said, oh, that's righteous anger. Or, well, you know, I'm just Italian. That's how we are, right? Or we may have to just submit this lust. Well, it's just who I am. It's how I'm designed. It's natural to be like this. Or we may have to submit just this envy. Well, if you saw the house I grew up in, it could make all sense. I believe we're to submit these things to Jesus and they were handed over to him. Because I believe in this scenario, with these people being healed, I believe Jesus asked for consent. I really do. And it's a consistent thing. He would ask people often, do you want to be healed? Right? I don't believe Jesus was just like, like hawking loogies in people's faces and be like, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. He asked people, hey, do you want to be well? And I believe that's, this man showed the desire to. And for us, when contemplating our emotions, when asking the question, how do I represent Jesus well when I don't feel well, when life is not good, but God is, what do I do? I believe it starts with the desire to see him work in your life. And I'm not going to say, you know, 
give your life to Jesus and you say, Jesus, take my life, take my emotions. And then like a Power Ranger thing happens, like so many early 2000s references today. And then all of a sudden you, you just become like this most sanctified and you float off the ground by two inches and you walk around and you're just so like holy. It's this thing called spiritual formation. It's being formed in the image of Jesus and it takes time. It takes a consistency, but it first takes admitting, hey, Jesus, my heart's damaged. I don't have it all together. I've been justifying a lot for too long, and I'm tired. I'm tired of feeling the shame and this guilt from all these emotions that I merit and allow. I want to submit them to you. And so I'm going to have Jess come back on. But I believe that just as these people stated, he does all things well. I believe he wants to do all things in your life as well. Jesus said, we have the authority to ask these things in his name. And I believe tonight, if we have things going on that feels like all things, it feels like all the things are going on in our life, all the emotions, right? You may be somebody that is leaning so far into your emotions, and it's just how you kind of grew up. You're coming to this place where you're like, man, I feel so inconsistent as an individual. I've pushed so many people away. Or you may feel like you're just somebody who, due to just being hurt, Maybe just growing up in a household where you're told to shut that off. You're told to act like a man. Buckle up. Get over it. You've turned yourself into a person who's just numb to it. I believe that Jesus wants to meet you in the middle of that. He wants to meet you in the middle of your mess. He wants to do all things. He can heal the anger that was caused from that abuse. He He can take that pride that was given due to a vacant father He can extinguish the need for just being valued by everyone you see and telling you you're enough. He can do all things. And so in closing tonight, I want to pray for each one of us who desires this. So I'm going to have everybody stand. I'm going to hit the lights. It's going to get all moody. Cool. Have everybody stand. Okay. And then have everybody bow your head in prayer. You know, this is a time where it's between you and Jesus. It's not the friends you came with tonight. It's not some white blonde dude on stage talking to you. It's not who you think you should be impressing here. It's you and Jesus in this space. It's been the whole time. He's been here the whole time. And in this moment, it's between you and him. And I'm just shooting in the dark here. The spirit led me in a few directions with maybe some things we're experiencing in this space. But I believe that for many of us, we're experiencing something that only Jesus knows about, that he's pinpointed it on your heart. And so tonight... If you desire to submit your emotions to God, if you feel like you've been in a place and this isn't you committing your life to Jesus, this is for those of us who have been following Jesus. But if you feel like you've been in a place where you've justified wrong emotions, if you've justified sinful behavior for the sake of your emotions and your emotions have controlled your lack thereof, and you want healing in that, you want Jesus to take that and be a part of it and step in and you just don't wanna do it by yourself anymore, can I just have you raise your hand? Everyone's eyes are closed. Everyone's heads are bowed. I love that. It's all of us. It's all of us, right? So with this, this is so sweet. Keep your hands raised. Now, I'm gonna have those of us who wanna have our hands raised. Let's pray for our friends. And if you guys could all raise both your hands just towards these individuals and just pray for our friends in this space. Jesus, Thank you for being so consistent. Thank you for doing all things well. Thank you for taking the broken things and redeeming them. Thank you for taking a chance on us and wanting to do it over and over and over and over. If it was just one of us who spent eternity with you, you'd do it again. 
Jesus, I thank you for my friends in this space. God, I, I pray for them right now, Lord, that as they're experiencing just oppression from what they have been going through emotion-wise, that they have just felt so swayed, that they have just felt so lied to by maybe narratives in culture or narratives in their life, God. We just pray over them tonight, Jesus, that whatever they're going through, that they may muster up the strength to submit it to you, to invite you into this space, God, to invite you into what's going on with them, Lord. It's between you and them, Jesus, but we pray on their behalf. We intercede for them, Jesus. God, there may be healing in this place. That for the next five weeks, God, as we talk through emotions, Jesus, you just may be at the center of it all. That as a song we're about to sing says that you may just have our hearts, that we have withheld our hearts from you for too long. So Jesus, let us do that. Let us submit to you. And let us be built up by those around us, by community. When it gets hard, when we want to follow our emotions again. And help us to be supported by those who love you and love us. Jesus, I pray for each individual in this room that, God, you see them. You see what their week has looked like. You see what their day has looked like. That they're not an anomaly. You're not oblivious to their situation. So Jesus, I pray for any hearts in here who feel hardened, that God, you may begin to soften them. We thank you, Jesus, for what you do in this space, this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.